brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, achy joints, weight gain. Maybe you're thinking they're all just part of getting older, or that's what your doctor tells you. But Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all be connected. Hormonal changes that happen during perimenopause and menopause are at the root of dozens of symptoms women experience, not just hot flashes. Midi specializes in compassionate care for women in menopause. Their solutions are safe, effective, and FDA-approved. Plus, they're covered by insurance. A convenient telehealth visit with a MIDI clinician can be your first step to getting personalized care. They'll tailor a treatment plan for your symptoms and health history, so you can get back to feeling great. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. When your body changes, your care should too. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. You're tuned into the Writing Community Chat Show, the live streaming YouTube podcast that brings you the stories of authors, screenwriters, and more. Indie or established, this show's for the community, and we invite you to be a part of it. Head to the writingcommunitychatshow.com for more info. The WCCS, together as one, we get it done. Hi, my name is Chris. With me is Chris, and you are watching the Writing Community Chat Show. Hello everybody and welcome to the Writing Community Chat Show. Yes, we have yet another bonus show for you and it is of course the festive season so why can't, why shouldn't we indeed? And we are celebrating, we surely are. Um, I'm your host Chris obviously and sat with me is Chris just to make it even more complicated and we're very excited to be joined today by Izzy Harper who is also known as Vicky Newman. Uh, she is, we're going to find out a very good story today uh, about someone who's gone from tradi traditional publishing into self-publishing and who's just released a very cool Christmas book. Uh, so we're looking forward to that. Hello, Chris, how are you doing? I'm very good, thank you, how are you? Um, good, because today is the first day of my Christmas holidays. I've just finished work today and that is it until next week and the festivities have begun. Nice, so you're in re relaxation mode right now. I certainly am, yeah. I'm looking forward to it and spending time with friends and family and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, thank you to everyone in the chat. It's great to see you there already. Um, it's really impressive that you guys have, have managed to commit to tuning into these shows despite us throwing them at you willy-nilly lately um, in the best kind of way. So thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Yeah, definitely. And you say you're in relaxation mode at the moment, Chris, but you're not because you've got a very big party to organize that unfortunately for you keeps getting bigger because I keep adding to it. <laughs> that is absolutely true. Uh, yeah, on Friday, you may have noticed, um, we might have plugged that a little bit, uh, that <laughs> um, there is the WCCS festive Christmas party on Friday that you're all very much invited to. And it's, it's becoming something of a big task to organize, but it should turn out to be a very, very fun show for you guys. And um, we've got a lot of special guests coming into the show that will pop in for a couple of minutes at a time, maybe five minutes at a time, to talk to us, to catch up, to have a drink. And at the end of that, we will put a team together to face Chris Hooley's team. So we need five guests that Ooh. will join us to have a quiz off for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, the biggest decision I've got at the moment is what to come dressed as, because obviously 
on the writing community chat show we tend to dress up when we have a party um so i've got two options i'm either going to try and dye my beard white mm-hmm. and go come as you know chris crinkle himself type thing obviously yes or i might go for the more sort of 80s pop band wizard look with the bit of the makeup and the white glittery beard and yeah i don't, I don't know yet i've decided um, I, I see our guest in the background. She's doing this. Um, but also, Chris, I hadn't thought about that at all. Um, so do I need mm. to prepare some sort of outfit? Yeah, I mean, normally, Chris, you set the tone. So, you know, maybe you could be a little elf or something like that. Okay, okay. I'll see what I can do. Um, <laughs> um, Brandon in, in the comments says, is that a chalice? And I think he's referring to my uh, beer glass. No, it's not a chalice, but it is golden rim. Mm. That's almost as big as your head. It's not I far can tell you in relaxation good. mode. Um, yeah, he said eighties pop for sure. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Wizard, so wizard the band um uh fancy dress, yeah. Do you reckon we get sued if I come on and go, It's Christmas <laughs> <laughs> Well hopefully not because well they wouldn't get much from us, Chris, let's be honest. That's uh, true. Maybe we just do it then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. We have got some giveaways. Uh, some of the audience, in fact, some of the amazing writing community members have said that they can donate some of the ebooks. Um, we've got a bit of merch to give away as well. And we'll be doing, we'll be trying to solve some puzzles um, <laughs> throughout the show to reveal a special keyword that then unlocks a giveaway. So you must tune in to help the giveaways become a reality and we will do what we can to try and to, to make your night very entertaining whilst getting a little tipsy um all in the in the humorous nature of festivities and, and christmas time yeah sorry mate i saw that comment and i couldn't not show it it's, a, it's, it's very funny because usually i control the comments um so i thought i didn't press that and then i saw the reaction uh, the answer so yeah thank you very much big head yeah uh, yeah. yeah so so please tune in friday and what we what we really want to see is a lot more people from the reading community as well jumping into this friday because we want to do giveaways um to to a bit of everybody and we're giving away your books as well so if you can get the word spread nice and wide <laughs> um, yeah if you could spread the word far and wide it would be absolutely amazing because that means we can get more people involved in our community and we can really celebrate the end of the year uh which has been a long one for most people so let's get let's get that celebrated well yeah um, i don't Chris, know what that olive oil comment was i just I thought it was good to put on the screen yeah, do you know what in this show we've done we're three years in march and we've done over 220 shows now i think and every single time that these certain people are in the chat, not pointing fingers, but you know who you are, um, I, I, it's, it's always when there's a serious conversation with a guest, and we'll be th- we'll be nodding away like our nodding dogs that we do, and then um, <laughs> I look down and I'll be like, trying not to laugh because they're saying something really rude and funny and inappropriate, which is fantastic, uh, but while someone's saying something serious, so it's really quite fun and difficult. Um, but but I, I wouldn't swap it for anything. Uh, Ross says, Hooli can't be trusted with the comments. No. <laughs> um, and Joe says, Halo, I've got a three-gallon bottle of olive oil. Wow. Um, not, not sure why. Uh, Halo says, we're very well behaved. And uh, Joanne says, angels. Ooh, what was the last one, mate? As big as Egg. Eric's head. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sorry. Um, there you go. So, so uh, I'm going to ignore these these nasty and um, and inappropriate comments. Mermaid sex. Uh, we we'll leave that one there uh, because <laughs> we need to get our guest on, Chris. Enough chitter chatter. Um, yep. Yeah. Right, so <laughs> I'm just going to introduce our guest so we can go on. So tonight's guest is an author, a podcaster, a blogger, someone who offers writing services, workshops, and has a writing academy. Um, her latest book, Murder at the Christmas Carols, came out in November. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Vicky Newham. Hello, Vicky. Hello. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me on. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I absolutely love the antlers, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, got to make an effort. Yeah, and you got <laughs> some little little Christmas lights in the background. Yeah, love my fairy, fairy lights. Amazing. How are you doing, Vicky? Very good, thank you. I've got my rhubarb and ginger gin. Ooh, nice. So I forgot to buy tonic water, so I've got gin and water and ice. But you know, it's quite nice. Mm. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's something I've tried before, gin and water. But you know, there's always there's always ch- time for that. Um, those antlers are bomb. <laughs> I'm assuming that means that means good, right? Um, Vicky, brilliant to have you. Uh, where are you coming from in the world? So I'm in Deal on the Kent coast. Ah, and nice. how is how is the weather in Kent at the moment? Yeah, sort of grey and sludgy. Unfortunately, no snow. Um, but hey, that's that's good. Warmed up. It's tropical. It's a tropical 12 degrees today. Isn't it bonkers Ooh. how we went from being absolutely ice cold? And and the and the irony is my heating was broke for weeks on end and it was like minus three, four, five degrees. And I fixed the heating, it becomes twelve degrees again. Exactly. Sold it. It's your fault. Yeah. It is, yeah. Sorry, I'll turn it off again, it'd be fine. Um yeah, so again, thank you so much for being here. And we really look forward to delving into to everything about kind of your career at the moment and um hearing some stories from you. But how it always starts is rewinding the tape a little bit and finding out where writing came from in your life because it's it's very good to find out the inspirations first before we move on to the rest of it so vicky where did it all come from for you and what was the inspiration yeah so i was thinking about this um i i can't remember not writing i mean as a kid i i just loved just writing stupid things but before um it, it was kind of it, falling in love with stories actually it's language it's always been about language for me um, mm. So I did language A-levels, I did French, German, Spanish, I did French and German for my first degree um, and mm. uh, loved doing uh, linguistics um, and just have, I don't know, just been obsessed always with language. Um, and then stories sort of came a, a bit, I don't know, stories had always been in there, but slightly. And then I realised, obviously, there's a relationship, you know, between between the two. So, um, it, you know, Enid mm. Blyton um yeah under the covers as a kid like many of us I'm sure um and then graduated to sort of Agatha Christie um and Simonon um and yeah just kind of love just always love mysteries really Mm. yeah so uh, somehow then got found myself teaching um so I was a teacher for 10 years um and uh, you know all all this time I was trying to write I was trying to write a novel, um, except I couldn't quite decide what genre I wanted to write in. Mm. Um, and it wasn't really until I left teaching in 2012. I was looking at the dates today, actually. Ten years ago, literally, 2012, at the end of 2012, December 2012, I committed to 
seeing if I could get a novel published. Wow. And what was that process like, Vicky, in terms of, obviously you've talked there about having a career, which some people I think would be a bit reluctant to jump out of because, you know, we're teaching, you've got the security element. Um, but then obviously jumping into writing a novel that's something that's a, a, more of a dream rather than a career. What made you take that leap? How did you make that decision? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a very happy, uh, happily escaped uh, teacher. Um, I love teaching. I still teach. I just don't ever want to teach in a system um, again. Mm. <laughs> so I was kind of trying to figure out really, yeah, kind of yeah, how, how, how to escape. And um, I was listening to your chat with Alexandra. Um, mm. And, uh, you know, there's some kind of some parallels there because I ended up with burnout. I ended up with the most hideous burnout um, from working, mm. uh, you know, all day, then doing marking and prep in the evening and working weekends as well. Um, mm. And so the burnout basically made me realise I had to leave teaching in a school. Um, and that was literally 10 years ago, you know, almost to the day, um, mm. bizarrely. Um, and there, so I didn't have a plan. There was no plan. But my mum, my, yeah, my, kind of my mum wasn't well. And, and also yeah. I thought life's too short to spend a lot of your, you know, your working day doing something really that is really stressful, you know, that you don't mm. enjoy. I love the teaching part, but I hated the school and the system and, you know, the political part of teaching. So, mm. yeah, so it, there was no plan. Uh, there was no plan. There was no exit route. There was no safety net at all. It was literally a leap into the unknown um, of, mm. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm going to see if I can, you know, write a novel, some novels, novels, and see if I can um, get one published. And that was what I, I'm a very determined yeah. person. <laughs> Mm. So I just kind of set about, set my mind to sort of Twitter, you know, using Twitter for research, trying to find out as much mm. as I could about publishing, about crime fiction authors, went to the LBF, set up a writing group, which I ran in the library. I started running workshops, you know, for other writers, mm. you know, and just kind of tried to learn as much as I could. Um, and that included learning about self-publishing. So that's kind of been on the back burner a bit for me, really, since, mm. you know, since then, since 2012. Mm. It's really interesting when you speak there about taking that leap into writing your first couple of novels. And despite you saying that you've written kind of since you can remember, had you written in that kind of, in with that kind of, A, the pressure, and B, that kind of structure before? No, neither at all. Um, and I just, I, I kind of set myself targets of doing a thousand words a day, seven days a week. Um, and I enrolled also for an MA in um, creative writing, um, mainly because, you know, I was kind of teaching myself from books, like, you know, lot, lots of us do, um, mm. trying to teach myself. But one thing I was lacking was feedback. You know, you can write and then you can, you know, be doing stuff all wrong and just writing stuff that's really shit. Um, but I just wanted feedback, basically. So that's where I thought with kind of two modules that do workshopping, those delightful workshops, and um, you know, it, it was really great you know it was just it was um it was fantastic so in my first year of that I kind of did my thousand words a day seven days a week and wrote my first novel um rewrote it rewrote it rewrote it rewrote it a million times I was just getting ready to send it out to agents and then some huge name crime author published a flipping book with exactly the same plot so oh. I thought, you know, it's a Debbie Wolfer, this isn't going to work. So I pulled mine and then just thought, um, uh, you know, I, I needed to think about how to 
uh, rework the plot, you know, basically. I mean, of course, it would have been different, but, you know, to have your debut novel that's really similar to something that's just come out previously by a huge mm. crime ritual, you know, would not be a good look. So um, I just, I used the second year of my MA and my dissertation. Um, I had Juliet Mushins um, as my dissertation supervisor. And I thought, you know, this is an opportunity that's too good to miss. So I used that as the opportunity to start my second you know, novel. And that was the one mm. that became my debut. Mm. Wow. Did you, in that moment when you, because obviously it sounds like you navigated it brilliantly, but can you take us to the oh shit moment where you were like, torn between your job and your dream and there was a bit where you were like is this gonna happen for me because I can imagine there was a moment where that happened and how you got through that um well to be honest with you the oh shit moments carried on for 10 years <laughs> <laughs> as they do for um, most of us I think yeah so you know as I said there was no uh, escape route and there wasn't a safety net so basically it's been oh shit ever since then you know but yeah. hey it's been fantastic you know, there's been so much learning and, you know, as we'll probably talk about, you know, loads of things have gone brilliantly and amazingly right and loads of things have gone just amazingly wrong. Mm. Mm. So take us right, to that, Juliet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, take us to Juliet and Juliet Mushrooms and you've obviously got her as your dissertation supervisor. I mean, correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. Um, yeah. So obviously she's got quite a big reputation. Um, so I, what... What was your mindset going into that dissertation in terms of I'm going to hand this piece over to this person that's big in the publishing world that could potentially launch my career? How did you decide what to write, what to pitch to that person and, and just navigate that? Yeah, I'd already decided what I wanted to write. Um, and so I kind of had had the plot for Turn of Blind Eye, which is behind me, um, kind of in my mind the whole time since I started teaching. So that was in 2002 when I was teaching in Tower Hamlets um, in a school, uh, state school in Stepney. So I had this plot to kind of write something that was very multicultural, you know, multicultural setting, um, a, a Bangladeshi uh, cop, um, Bangladeshi detective etc and one of the reasons that I was so thrilled to have Julia as my dissertation supervisor was so that I could sort of mine her amazing you know expertise and experience and guidance you know to write mm. something that I'd lived in that area for four years and I taught in that area for four years but obviously that's not my lived experience and so um my kind of my goal really was simply to learn as much from her as possible and to learn as much from the opportunity as possible um and also, you know, if we can have a bit of fun, because Juliet's great fun and I like a laugh, um, uh, then that was um, icing on the cake. And we did both. Love that. <laughs> yeah, it's, pretty, it's pretty impressive. Um, I, I really kind of like to know then where your genre in, in direction was at the start. And, and obviously you're coming into Christmas books now. Yeah. Was the, at what point did you decide Christmas books or writing Christmas novels was for you? And kind of where did you want to go at the start? And has that changed much since then? Yeah, it's changed a lot. So obviously, though, well, those novels, the Kinyon novels are police procedurals. So they're very gritty, very, very urban, um, you know, quite very dark. Um, and um, uh, and now I'm writing, you know, warm, gentle, cosy mysteries uh, you know, set in a lovely, quaint um, English village. So you know, I have literally gone, you know, pivoted from, you know, one end of the, the crime fiction spectrum um, to the other. So uh, after my dissertation thing, so I spent about a year, I think, kind of rewriting, 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 rewriting a 
billion to billion to times um that book and um, obviously you know having had Juliet you know I, I one of the reasons I was so thrilled to have Juliet as my dissertation supervisor was because you know I'd kind of like always had my heart set on having her as my agent um, and then because she's so busy you know she opens for subs and closes and opens and closes and so you know she kept being closed when I thought I was just about right this bloody thing's ready to send out now and then oh damn it you know she's closed for subs um, yeah. so anyway you know that sort of that didn't didn't quite work out I did submit to her um, in the end um, but yeah so uh, I sent that book out and then very quickly got um, an agent I actually did one of her master classes you know on like how to submit and how to get an agent and I literally mm. followed her instructions to, to the T. I did everything, everything, mm. you know, that she said. Um, and it just, it, I just think it was very lucky. It just worked very quickly and very well for me. I mean, I got offers of representation from about seven agents. Wow. So I kind of, you know, it was a lovely position. And then after that, um, my book went out on submission to publishers and also to production companies. Um, and before I got my book deal, we actually had... Uh, interest registered from seven different production companies to option the book for TV. Nice. And so, you know, that happened really fast. And then the book deal happened really fast. And um, so then, you know, this was the bit. So going from nothing to kind of like, oh, my God, you know, this is amazing. You know, this is unbelievable. This can't be happening. And kind of trying not to think, oh, this is too good to be true. Because that's a bit kind of, mm, you know, I don't know. Um, what's the word? It's not suspicious. Um, oh my God, you know, when you walk under a ladder, what's the word when you... Oh. Superstitious. Yeah, superstitious, that's it. Suspicious, superstitious. Very nearly there, Vicky, well done. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't think it's, you know, too good to be true. And then basically, yeah, so, you know, having your first book, getting an agent quickly, the book deal, you know, the TV option, etc. Um, hmm. Yeah, it just was, you know, it was uh, amazing, amazing and exciting. Um, and hmm. so the, the internal blind eye was published um, so my publisher chose it as their event title for 2018 so that meant their biggest title you know of the first um, half of the year and so like you know then of course you're thinking well hopefully that means a, you know a, a, a nice marketing budget um, and again things just looked like they were going to go really well and then they just didn't one by one everything just fell away so the uh, production company um, which happens very common I mean you know it's very very rare yeah. that option actually you know gets yeah, gets made whatever yeah exactly so you know i just thought go for the go for the ride enjoy it you know have the lunches laugh the laughs you know do mm. the stuff um etc and um they they optioned it for 18 months but then the lady who bought it um left playground and then moved on to a different um production company and then they decided not to renew it you know which is very common so that fell away if that, that fell mm. away before Turn a Blind Eye was published mm. um, and then Turn a Blind Eye didn't sell it just didn't sell in the way that my publisher um, anticipated that it would mm. and so um, the second one I was doing the edits uh, then I kind of I knew I knew things weren't right um, you know I kept asking questions but anyway we were doing edits on the second one out of the ashes um, and then just before that was due to be published, um, they said they decided not to continue with the series. Mm. Um, so that's sort of that's what happened with that one. So how? Sorry, Chris. 
Okay. I was just gonna... probably going to ask the same question I, I'm going to ask is, is how did you take that as, as an author um, who who at the time was feeling like you were going in the right direction um, how did you then take that as as criti a constructive criticism how did you how did that affect you as an author and your confidence yeah I mean um, in lots of ways um, and I'll be you know I'll be completely honest about it um, I kind of was half expecting it because I knew that things, you know, I kind of got a sense that, you know, that things weren't right. Um, although nothing was articulated, uh, you know, etc. Um, and also, you know, I know how common it, it is, you know, we all know, don't we, you know, we've all got lots of friends in the industry and you know how often it happens, basically, mm. the books start to sell and then, you know, etc. So yeah, it wasn't a huge shock. Um, but, uh, and, I didn't want to continue writing something if it wasn't going to sell, you know, so mm -hmm. I just kind of thought, look, you know, you need to get your reindeer horns off, Vicky, put your pragmatic head on um, and, you know, you, you get your head around this. But um, I, I was OK about it. And also they were very enthusiastic about my writing and they didn't want to kind of mm -hmm. let me go. They just said, you know, can you write some thrillers for us? But um, unfortunately, what happened was um, it coincided with my editor then leaving. So I kind of fell between stools. Um, and the, I think in this situation, the bit that was hard for me was that my agent at the time, um, I think kind of how it's framed, you know, what happens afterwards can be really critical to how things affect you. And my agent at the time said that um, it would be very difficult for me to then get another publishing contract. Um, so uh, he said that I had, I had, I now have, I don't know when it goes away, if it ever does, bad track, um, and oh. that it would be very difficult, um, yeah, for me to get another publishing contract. And he's kind of said it would need to be, you know, there were jokes about it would need to be, you know, Gillian Flynn, F off, amazing, in order for me to get mm. a publishing contract. And so for me, the way I kind of heard that really, um, he didn't say it, but it's, I think, the way my brain heard it, you know, was kind of really, my career's over, you know, mm. it's it's over. Um, so it, you... it, was, it was really, you know, it was really hard because I thought, well, where do I go from here? Because, of course, mm. you know, who of us, we'd all love to write a book as good as, you know, Gillian Flynn's. Um, but I just thought, well, you know, of course I can't do it. So I, I might as well kind of give up then. I mean, I, I sort of didn't, but there was an element of that of it's over. Did you ever like have the urge to say to like people around you and publishers and stuff that, you know, sometimes that longevity that people are after takes like at least three or four books for a character to really take off. Like, you know, we've had Ian Rankin on the show and I, you know, I absolutely love him, but he wasn't popular from book one. Uh, it yeah. took a few, you know, Michael Connolly is the same, took a few books to build the character. Um, and I know if it was me in that position, I'd have been like, just give me time. <laughs> like, I just need yeah. a bit more time. No, there isn't really. I mean, also the, cra the crazy stroke sad thing about it, you know, was that, um, I mean, at Crime Fest, I kind of, I sat down with my editors. I said, look, I, you know, I'd like to just understand if that's okay, you know, what all of your reasons are for this decision, just so I can kind of think, plan, you know, think going forward, make any changes that I need to, to anything asked myself or my writing or my projects, or, you know, or whatever. And then I found out that my, my that the book, the, the book that hadn't sold, had been, been long listed and then it was shortlisted for the John, the John Creasy debut dagger. Wow. So kind of despite that, you know, it was kind of like, I did think, and people said, oh, I bet they'll change their mind now. But I just, I knew they wouldn't because I knew yeah. once they made 
that decision. And also when I thought about it, I thought, actually, I think they decided this quite a while ago. You know, when my editor went through all of the factors and the way they look at it, mm. I think I realised they've known this for, for some time. So were you not in a position, sorry, Chris, sorry. were you not in a position to take that book somewhere else and say, do you know what, this is book one, but I have book two, three and four booked in, you know, well, you know, can somebody else take it and, and do wonders with it? No, because my contract with them was for the two books. So they said, we'll publish the next one, um, but we just won't do any marketing or promotion, you know, sort of for it. Um, so that was kind of, you know, where where things were. So, you know, I, I, I you know, I, I kind of, I looked to my agent at the time, you know, for a steer, you know, with, well, what about you know, using a pen name and, he just kind of said, well, pen names don't work because publishers just basically say, well, who is this person? And then they just go and look, look up your, you know, your book sales uh, anyway. Mm. So, um, and also the, so we, we put together, I mean, I, I put together sample chapters and synopses for three different thrillers, you know, basically, mm. and we sent them over. But because my editor had left uh, and a couple of other editors had left as well, they just kind of said, we haven't got anyone to give it to, so it's going to have to be no. Um, mm. So, you know, I went back to my agent and said, okay, well, where now then? And, and he just kind of said, well, I, um, I actually think none of these are, you know, past muster, was his expression, mm. really. Um, you're, you know, you're going to have to start again, you know. And I thought, I've spent months now, you know, yeah. I'm running out of money. I've spent months working on three things. One mm. of them he really liked and one of, them, one of them he really, really, really liked. And one of them he just thought was kind of okay. And I thought he'd say, well, why don't you write the one, you know, I don't know, you know, but he didn't. He just basically said, I think you're going to have to go start again. And I just thought, this, this, this I is what's really kind of blowing, blowing my mind is how this show, me and Chris are a good example of how the writing community and everyone within it and the people we interact with, we re really want to lift and encourage and help develop. And the publishing industry, from what kind of the angle you're coming from as well, do very much the opposite at the time where unless you're offering them something there and then on the plate they don't want it so where is their ambition to help someone to grow that author even if they're not directly giving them that instant access to sales do you know what i mean why is there not a system there to say okay this is what you need to do do this then come back rather than just say no do you know what i mean i, th I think that's a yeah. issue they've got there yeah so anyway, I mean, I just pulled the conclusion, you know, it took me a while, really, that I just needed fresh eyes on my work because, mm. um, you, know, mm. I, well, I just, you know, I just did. So that's kind of, that's that's what I did. But I, I was left with, you know, this with writer's block, you know, and I, I've just kind of always, I don't know, just wonder whether writer's block was a thing or something. But I mean, I literally, I just, I felt so confused by everything, really, and so demoralised. I just thought, I don't know, you know, obviously what I'm writing is crap. I don't know now what I want to do, you know, etc. So it just it took a long time um, to yeah to decide what I wanted to write next, really, and then I ended up broke. I mean, just literally down to my last few hundred pounds in lockdown, and then that's that's not fun. So I, I mean, I had to stop writing completely, sort of for for six months. Um, mm. And then when I moved, um, you know, I, I started to get bub bubblings of ideas again. And that's when the idea came for the Wooden Windmill Mysteries, because I moved to where I live now to sell my flat. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I kept walking past this windmill with the dog. And um, 
you know, we were in lockdown and I didn't, I just didn't want to write, you know, lots of gory corp scenes. And, you know, we were all hearing about death statistics on the TV every day. Yeah. And mm. I just wanted to write something that was just warmer and softer and had a great role for humour. So, mm. um, yeah, I just started. And so, you know, you asked me about, you know, writing a Christmas, uh, you know, a Christmas book. And, and the plan wasn't really to, I want to write a Christmas book. It's just that I started writing it in November two years ago, um, yeah. literally when I moved here. Um, and, you know, I, I suppose I was thinking about Christmas carols and I just thought, you know, having someone collapse and a suspicious death at a carol, you know, at a carol service, innocent, lovely, fluffy, snowy carols on the green, you know, would be a really dramatic, you know, opening scenes for... Sorry, before we jump into it, if you don't mind, would you be able to let everybody know what it's about so we can get some context in there? Yeah, because of the, yeah, like sure. last, last time show, we just spoke for the entire show and then talked about the book at the end. So if you, can, <laughs> Vicky, if you don't mind, let everybody know what it's about and then we can talk yeah, about it. Yeah, okay. So this novel is called Murder at the Christmas Carols. And so I'm writing this under a pen name of Izzy Harper. Uh, so it is about three women and uh, three generations of women who team up yeah, and here we have one of the generations of women who team up uh, to solve a murder in the week before Christmas, uh, and they live in a very cool converted windmill. Mm. Nice. I actually saw a review for this, which stated that they, that I think there must have been a local person, and they mentioned how amazing it is to see kind of the local uh, sort of architecture in the story, and that was a real benefit to them as a reader. Um, so that's very, very cool to go and take in what's around you and use that in your stories. I think that's a very powerful thing to use. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. So, Vicky, let, let's talk a little bit about, I mean, you've kind of already covered your experience with the publishing industry. But yep. then how did you make the leap moving forward to self-publish your books? I know, obviously, you talked a little bit about research in that. Yeah. But for a lot of people, that's quite a, a, a different tack to take in terms of you know you've built this author career you know you've been shortlisted and longlisted for awards clearly writing's very very good and then for you to say right i'm gonna go and do this myself um i feel like it's a step that more and more people are going to start to take but yeah. what made you take it in particular yeah um a few things actually i mean whilst i was um kind of going through the uh, trad process so the process was traditional publisher um you know I was kind of thinking about the things that you know oh, why does, why is why does this happen why do they do that and why this and why that and so when I was thinking about so do I want to go back into that industry you know do I want all those things again do I want that pressure do I want to be out of control in lots of ways mm. you know about things do I want a thing that takes so long to get your book to market and, you know, because I've spent a lot of time researching self-publishing, I know a lot of people who do it, you know, very, very well. Um, you know, it just became more and more appealing, really. So there were three kind of key things, really. One of them I mentioned, which is speed, you know, the speed with which, I mean, you know, how long it takes to write a novel is how long it takes to write a novel. But you can do the editorial process, you know, much more quickly because, you know, you pay, you commission the person to edit your book, they edit it, they get it back to you, and then, you know, you do the stuff. And then, you know, you don't have to wait four months because your editor is then is working on, you know, however many other authors books, you know. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, you can just get get your book to market much, much yeah. more 
quickly. I mean, it's not uncommon these days for, you know, when you get offered a deal, um, you know, that it, it could take two years for your book to be published. You know, then meanwhile, yeah. you know, you might have get one slice of your advance if you've got an advance or, you know, whatever. So, yeah, so speed basically was what really appealed to me. Um, the other thing is control. Um, at, you know, the control that you have over uh, pricing, you know, the cover that you use, uh, the title, mm. the blurb that goes on the back, the positioning of it. Um, you know, mm. the creative control, um, so kind of deciding, you know, making editorial decisions, basically everything comes back to me. Um, yeah. And then the other thing is money, basically, you know, is the royalty rates, uh, you know, the royalty yeah. rates um, for, with KDP. Um, you get 35% uh, if you're good for 199 and you get 70% if it's 199 and over. Mm. So, you know, there's a big difference there, really. And then your money comes through, I think it's six weeks after publishing or something like that. And then it's monthly. Yeah. So, you know, it, you, it's just very qu- much quicker, hopefully, um, you know, yeah. to get money through as well. So the more I thought about those things, the more I just thought, you know, it's a no brainer, really. Let's, you know, let's just yeah. kind of go for it. And then during lockdown, I've been doing a lot of courses um, on digital marketing, digital advertising, learn how to do Facebook ads, you know, etc. Um, and then I just thought, do you know what? I don't want to be out of control of this stuff again. I want to be able to control my pricing. I want to be able to run my own marketing and advertising um, and, you know, and to be using that, what I'd learned and those skills. Mm. So it was daunting. You know, at times I just kind of think, oh, you know. <laughs> mm. um, but, yeah, it's, it's good. I'm liking it. Mm. I've got a question for you then, Vicky. For someone, you started writing, obviously, Murder at the Christmas Carols in November. How long did it take you to write? Because if it took you longer than two months, how do you then put yourself in a good position to write the Christmas book out of season, if that makes sense? Okay, so yeah, so I started writing it two years ago um, and and then then went broke um, and had to stop writing. So um, I didn't actually pick it up. I went to Harrogate um, in the summer um, I decided on the Saturday morning at like seven o'clock, oh, I'm going to go to Harrogate now, today. I'm just going to drive up and stay overnight and come back. And um, and actually it was at Harrogate that I hadn't, I, I'd, I'd written about 10,000 words, you know, of first draft of the of Murder at the Christmas Carols and I just left it. So I hadn't touched it at all for uh, over a year and a half. In fact, I couldn't even find the document. So it was at Harrogate where I just thought, do you know what? Write this bloody book. Just write the effing thing and get it out there, you know, and get it edited, copy edited, proofread, etc., and just go for it. What have you got to lose? So I literally came back from Harrogate and then the next day, you know, was where's this document on my computer? Can't find it. So I started again from scratch, basically. Mm. I had to start again from scratch. So I started writing this book that you've got on your left shoulder, Chris, um, <laughs> uh, in the third week of July. Yeah. So it was four weeks, four, four weeks, four months, basically, to so, write it, structure yeah, it. in the middle of summer. Yeah. Proofread, published. So, so, so that, going back to the question then, during the summer when you were writing a Christmas book, how did yeah. you get yourself in the mindset of Christmas while the sun was blazing outside? Have I just answered a completely different question? Did on a politician? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, well, it was a good it's story. I mean, <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's the gym. Um, no, no, no. Uh, I, I love that I because know. because because Harrogate, you're very right. Because Harrogate, for example, we went there a couple of years ago, 
um, those sort of events really inspire you to get back into the craft, don't they? Yeah. Mixing yeah. with the same sort of people and, and yeah. it's, it's very inspiring. But yeah, going back to the question, when you're writing in, not in kind of Christmas time, how do you as a writer, and, and people might want to do this, step into the world of Christmas writing, how do you write a Christmas story while it's not Christmas and you're not in that present kind of state? Yeah, okay, well, I've got the right question now, so I'll give you the right answer. Um, I, I don't know, really, I just kind of like, I didn't really intend on making it quite so Christmassy. I think, obviously, with the mm. Christmas carols, you know, it just basically got more and more Christmassy. So mm. as I was writing it from kind of like July and then August, September, and then through, I'm starting to get more Christ, more Christmassy and thinkable. And I kind of like just basically upped, the, you know, so I was listening to lots of carols when I was writing it, and I was playing lots of, like watching lots of snow, you know, and so I just just basically upped that side of things to make it very Christmassy. Mm. <laughs> it, it, it happens a lot on TV shows or like panel shows and things. They they record the Christmas special like August time, and it's like yeah. they're all dressed up in Christmas outfits, and it it must be a bizarre feeling. But yeah, what kind of Christmas carols were you listening to? Was there one in particular that you had on repeat? Was was anything that haunted you from that? I really like proper choral carols. So, you know, it's the, uh, whatever that's, uh, anything choral. Mm. Nice. Definitely. So, Vicky, <laughs> let's take you back a little bit because you're, there's somebody out there now that have had their first book published and yeah. they're growing disillusioned with the, the publishing world in terms of that they've, they feel like they've been abandoned and they're not really sure how to navigate the waters. So what would your advice be to somebody that was in a very similar position to what you were in? Yeah, so uh, I feel really passionately. Let me just add to that. Sorry. (laughs) Because you're now, this book is currently smashing its way up the Amazon charts and, you know, flying through into the top 100, um, which obviously for somebody who's doing it all themselves now, is something that a lot of publishers would dream of. So you're clearly smashing it. So, you know, that advice would be great for that person. <laughs> yeah, thanks. I know. And also what's quite bizarre, quite bizarre as well is it made its way into selling in America and Canada on its own. And before I started mm. advertising there, you know, it, it was kind of like, oh, hello, I'm getting sales from, you know, or it tells you where your sales are. And so I was like, oh, I need to do some adverts in the USA. And uh, yeah, so what my advice would be, and I re- feel really passionately about the need for us as authors, you know, to kind of get ourselves tooled up with the knowledge, you know, to find out what the different publishing models are and to really think critically, I don't mean in a criticism way, but analytically, you know, about the model, you know, so I was asking questions about, but why won't you reduce the price of my ebook? Why is my ebook $7.99? What do you mean you won't reduce it until the hardback, you know, until the pub? the paperback comes out and you know to to think really critically about all of the things that you think affects your book um so you know none of these are about individuals none of these are about individual publishers which is why i haven't you know named people involved because it's not about individuals it's about the system you know the publishing system Mm. so my advice would be and it's the same as what my advice is for you know newbie authors you know who haven't subbed to agents yet you know etc is to really do your task you know do due diligence and research the many 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 publishing models you know because the hardback model the straight to paperback model digital first the digital only you know there are so many different um you know models now of publishing and they they really 
vary they still don't enable in my opinion they still don't enable authors to be able to earn an adequate in income any of them so i personally think a lot of change needs to happen and that was the that was the key thing determiner for me in deciding to pub self-publish this new you know series but yeah it's to really really think analytically and do your research because there are new publishers starting up you know, all the time who have different, and the key thing, you know, really is uh, about, you know, for, for me, it's about how much, you know, what, what sort of marketing, basically, um, mm. you know, you need to have a good product, you need to have a good book, that's well written and well edited, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, you need to have a good cover, you need a good title, you need to have a good blurb, and you need marketing, you need paid advertising, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, that, that was going to be my my next sort of point because some people would say that the publishing industry is not necessarily how good the book is; it's who you know to get to get that book out there and yeah. where they're going to put it. Um, they would say that that is obviously one of the big advantages. So, obviously, as someone who's broke through into that Amazon, you know, charts, what would your advice be in terms of marketing them? What would you? ask or you know if you had three tips let's say for somebody what what would they be yeah i mean i i have um in the last two and a half years um you know i've spent a lot of time re researching different types of advertising you know basically and finding out how they work um and so the, you know the two main ones really are um you know facebook ads and amazon ads and um, you know and i think they are essential you know i mean that's what i've i've used predominantly for you know for this book um and it's worked and lots of people say i mean what's interesting and which is why i just kind of thought hopefully it's inspiring for other people is i mean there's nothing amazing about my book there's nothing particular about my book i mean it strikes the call because it's set for christmas you know etc um you know but but um yeah i mean i i i, I think really a lot of it is down is down to advertising and that that would be I mean, a lot of publishers are reluctant to do it, you know, because, I mean, you can do, and I really believe in, I do a lot of, as you can see with my stupid videos on TikTok and Instagram and, you know, whatever, and here's my dog, here's my dog. Um, you know, I do all that. And I actually, and I really enjoy it. And I hope that comes across. And it really does help. You know, it all helps. It all helps the algorithms and it helps your ads. You know, the organic marketing contributes to your paid you know your your paid marketing um you know as as well but i just think that the organic stuff on its own isn't enough you know if you want to get into the bestseller lists you know etc and that's what i was going to say is a lot of people say if you have just one book you'll never don't advertise you know people say if you're going to write a series wait until the book the third book you know etc you won't make money you won't recoup your costs and i am way more than recouping the costs my advertising mm -hmm. costs this book um, and it started out at 99p and I've kind of, it, it was 99p for two weeks and it's been 99p, uh, two, it's been 199 for the last two weeks. Um, and yeah, so that's, that's basically, I think what I, you know, that, that, that's my view is that to get the book as good as you can, um, mm. and that is within our control as writers, you know, if you're with a traditional publisher that, you know, the, the cover, the blurb, the title, etc., isn't necessarily, isn't as much within our control, mm. but um, I think it's the advertising that, that makes the difference. Yeah. I was going to say, without going into the nitty gritty of numbers, 
Can can we talk about cost in terms of because some people are going are probably sat there thinking, well, how much are people spending and like what's a good amount and what what am I going to get back from this and you know all these questions will go around. Obviously, I'm not expecting you to to delve into well, I spend you know fifty pound a day and I get two hundred pound back and things like that. Like, um, but again, just sort of general. I started really small. I mean, I just did, you know, I, I mean, I the way I do my research is I find out what everyone does and how they do it. Um, I try out a bit of all of it and I figure out my own system. Um, so, you know, I, I kind of use a bit of everything. But, I mean, most people who are sensible say start really small. So that's what I did. In the summer, I was using Facebook ads to advertise my courses. Um, I'm a qualified teacher, so I teach a little bit of kind of basic writing. And I had some of those on I put online and you know, so I, I kind of started with those really. Um yeah, and just start really small. Same with Amazon ads, start with really small daily budget, really low bids, you know, know what you you can spend, do your sums, keep an eye on it, and see how it goes. Amazing. Chris, can I jump in before we we've got to move on to the community questions very soon? I've got a review that I like to read about books, uh, and of course we need to get this in um, before we get the questions from the community. So, guys, if you do have questions for Vicky or for us, please start sending them in now. Um, so, this review for Murder at the Christmas Carols, Vicky says, um, "Where is it? A, a cozy read, just as described, but also a page turner." I read it really quickly because you just get drawn into the story. The characters are engaging and likable, particularly the mother-in-law. Uh, the book reminded me of the Thursday Murder Club. Uh, perfect for relaxing over the Christmas holidays. This was a five-star smashing review, as most of them are. Um, first of all, how awesome to be referred to a book, uh, the third, Thursday Murder Club, that sold over a million books. And um, <laughs> but the, que- the question I have off the back of that is, how do you balance writing a festive um kind of heartwarming type of story with addressing kind of issues that may be a bit darker how do you kind of balance that yeah i haven't really got too much dark stuff um in this story you know i really tried to weed that out um you know i mean with cozies you know you've got the the you know the things you must stick to so you can't have any sex on the page you're not allowed to swear and my god i found that so hard how many times can you say oh crikey and oh blimmin' nora <laughs> You know, and flipping heck. Um, so you can't swear. Yeah, no violence on the page, no sex on the page, um, amateur sleuths, you know, etc. Um, so yeah, the darkness basically. I mean, the, the plot line I had in mind was much, much, much darker because you know I still had little bits of kind of police procedurally yeah. tower hamlet stuff going on. Um, and so no, 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 no midsummer murders. Um, yeah, so just keep it really cozy um uh, and but i think one of the ways in which maybe my book is a little bit different is i really wanted it to be a page turner i'm sure everyone does but basically you know because my publisher said could you write some thrillers for us you know i really got into um you know the thriller vibe so you know i was gobbling up harlan coburn and reading all about thriller writing and stuff you know so Kind of when I started writing this cozy, it was sort of thrillery ozy. So the lady <laughs> who edited it said, she said to me, do you like, do you write thrillers? And I said, no, but I, well, well, yes or no, you know, kind of. So basically she said, it's really, really thrillery. And I said, well, is that mm. good or bad? And she just, so anyway, she explains sort of like, you know, how it works. So, you know, I used mm. to have a lot of, and I still do have a lot of thrillery chapter endings, you know, cliffhangers and sort yeah. of mm. you know, stuff, stuff like that. 
And then the Christmas, I mean, funnily enough, I really hate Christmas, which is so hilarious because kind of now with this book. You know, you know, someone you, who hates Christmas. <laughs> I know. So, so, and saying all these lovely carols, you know, I'm now just, this is the best Christmas I've ever had. Well, I know you're on the writing community chat show, but that's a very big thing to say, uh, Vicky. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm joking. Um, yeah, no. <laughs> um, yeah, you're not to say otherwise, Ross said. Yeah, exactly. Uh, no, no, of course. Um, but one tip then for writing something that is a page turner, because a lot of authors will aspire to kind of do that. How would you engage someone that when they finish a chapter, they go, ah, oh, I've got to turn the next page. How would you do that? Oh, there are so many different ways to do it, aren't there? I mean, you know, it is the cliffhanger thing of leaving something, you know, something you know with a question you know with something something's in the middle you know a, co a conversation that's broken off um you know a revelation and then you don't find out who has said what or done what or you find out who who but you don't find out you don't find out the what so you need to carry on to find out the what or the who um you know or the how or the when um yeah just basically stop in you know, just stop before you want to. Hmm. Love that. Okay, Chris, shall we jump into, we got ten, eight minutes left, um, the writing community questions. Yeah, as long as you're going to play the video, mate. I will, just for you. Um, if you guys can send some questions in, there's a couple coming already, but please carry on. Um, in the meantime, we will ask the staple questions and we'll play this little video first. And it's not the one we played last week, so Chris might freak out. <laughs> Clearly missing part one and two there. <laughs> that was my um, criticism. Of course. It's like we can't be at part three already, mate. Like, what's wrong with the question time video? Oh, it's a I'll good that as video. Well, like, where is it? Have no, I talked enough? There you go, no, mate. Have no, you no, ever Vicky. heard the phrase? If it's not broke, don't fix it. No, but this is the thing, right? So, Vicky. Before season 10, um, I played part one, two, three. Season 10 is now messy. It just goes all the way through to uh, community questions. So that's why there's no part one, two, three. Mm. It didn't work today. Didn't make that fired. Not really. Um, so, Chris, start us off with the staple questions, please. Did I talk too much? Sorry. No, 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 no. No, so the first staple question that we have, Vicky, is if you could take any fictional character and make that character yeah. your own. Who would you choose and why? Okay, so. Um, I'm not really sure that Amy and Nick kind of got their just desserts. So I kind of think they need to come and live in Little Wooten and then I kill them. Wow. How would you bring them together again? Like, or would this be a complete rewriting of Gone Girl in terms of, let's say Gone Girl doesn't exist, Amy and Nick are still massive somethings, and then we bring them into your novel and we kill them. How does that work out? Well, I guess, I mean, they could come, you know, for a holiday. 
or something like that, you know, holiday, mm. little holiday by the sea uh, in Little Wooden. They come to look at the windmill, something like that, you know, and they just, I don't know, get bumped off. <laughs> Which order would you bump them off in? Amy, Nick. Mm. Would Nick Very put up a fight? Um, mm, not much, really. I think he's a bit of a wimp. <laughs> Amazing. Okay. Uh, next question. If you could yes. take the ending of anything and change it and reasons why, um, but this can be a book, a TV show, or a film, what ending are you going to change and what are you going to do with it? So... By the way, I have to say, I mentioned Gillian Flynn because she really, really, really is one of my all-time favourite female crime writers. I think her writing is just amazing. However, this is the second. Mm. My other favourite female crime writer, Tana French. So, um, yeah, so changing the ending. So this is, so in the woods, uh, and so in this um uh adam finds out who so changes his identity rob he, he finds out who uh, who kills the present the person in the present day murder um but mm. because it all links up with um the, his childhood when he went into the woods with two friends and he came back and his two friends didn't we don't actually find out what happened to them so the ending that I would like to change, I'm afraid, uh, Tana, is to find out what happened to the other two. I'm pretty so sure if it's a Stephen King ending, they were abducted by aliens. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> or even by <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've, I've got to scroll back a minute because there was a funny question I saw earlier. Um, there's some really good questions. Oh, there you go. Linda had a good question to start us off. If you have to get rid of a body, which of Santa's reindeer do you feed him to? The hungriest first. Oh, so the first. bodies are him, by the way. The hungriest first. Mm. That's fair enough. Yeah, I mean, which one gets less praise? Because surely they're the ones starving of the praise in terms of... I can't remember the you know, song. You won't, you won't feed Rudolph. Oh, maybe you would because he's... His nose is red anyway, so the blood would. Well, he is the he is leading and and doing all the hard work trying to navigate. So he's probably the hungriest. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, we'll go with that. <laughs> Thanks for your question, Linda. Um, okay, uh, Halo says, "What advertising methods don't work in your experience?" Um. All of the methods that I've talked about, you know, can be very expensive. You, you know, you need to be really careful with your budgets and, you know, all, all of that stuff. Um, and so then they can really, really not work just because you waste a lot, you know, a lot of money. Um, and then other stuff really is trial and error. It kind of depends a lot on who you are, what your book's like, you know, what you're good at, um, you know, etc. Et um, yeah, I'm not sure if I can say too much more about that. Yep. Uh, some things are very time consuming. Some organic methods are very, very time consuming for very little, you know, kind of sort of reward. But I suppose it depends, you know, mainly I'm looking for kind of ebook readers. So uh, the market is different. Mm. Great answer. I suppose if we push you on that a little bit with the advertising methods, um, how do you know the difference between somebody who's going to deliver results in advertising for you and somebody who's just saying that they can? Because there's an awful lot of, 
people out there who say, you know, I've been an editor for all this time and I yeah. do all these things and I've, you know, I've been in marketing for all this time and I can promise you these. How do you know the difference between the people who are posing and the people who are actually serious about what they do and will deliver you some sort of results for your money? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I mean, my thing, my belief is, and this is the same with everything, is that, you know, if I was going to employ somebody to do, um, you know, to run adverts for me, I need to know how they work myself to start with, because as you said, unless I know that, unless I know what the key metrics are and how to evaluate them, I'm not going to know whether they're bullshitting me or not. Um, And so that's really important. So really for everything with me is I have to do it all myself first. I mean, that may mean I'm a bit of a control freak, but you kind of, I've been self-employed and run business a lot. So you kind of need to be a bit, you know, so for me, I need to be able to do everything myself to start with, or at least to kind of, you know, to know the basics of how it works um, and to do it. Um, So yeah, before I, so that I can evaluate what someone else is saying. And there are a lot of people, I mean, I get a lot of people saying, let me do your adverts for you. And I ask them a couple of quick questions, you know, and then it's Mm. obvious. Yeah. Yeah. It is a great question, Chris, because, Instagram posts spammed constantly with promote yeah. on this, promote us on that, and and it's the same everywhere at the moment. So yeah, you're right. Um, adverts, emails all the time are saying, "Oh, we'll do this for you, we'll do that for you." So it's it's a minefield at the moment, and I think it's great, Vicky, like you said, to have your own sort of vetting process. That's a really good idea. Um, okay, one more of the guys, and then we can finish off the questions with our our end quest, uh, questions, Chris. Hmm. Okay, Halo says, if you could bring any of your characters to life to kill them, who would you bring to life to murder and why? <laughs> so if I could import them into my life, who would I like to... Is that what the question is? Uh, yeah, I think it's one of your characters that you've created. Make them real, then... Bah, kill them. <laughs> uh, yeah, so who do I find really irritating? Uh, oh. Do you know, I mean, it's really hard in this series. There isn't really anybody that I don't like because I've I, I, created them to be quite nice people. Yeah, I, I'd like to flip that. There is one more I'd like to ask, and that'll bring us back up a second. And, and it's Joe's question. It's a really good one. She says, have, have you ever incorporated some of the traditional cozy elements, such as cookery or vicars and, or pets in this book? And how important are these cozies? Or are, are, are these in cozies? Yeah, I love that. I love that question. There's a whole big thing, you know, with kind of yeah, cooking cozies and pet cozies um, and paranormal cozies. And um, I don't really have any elements of uh, uh, as a focus, you know, of any of those three in my book. Um, however, I do have a dog, and the dog's called Rebus. So Ellie has a cockapoo. Nice. Well, I mean, hello. Why, you know, cockapoos are just amazing, of course. Um, and of course, of course, the dog had to be called Rebus. Um, and then there's a little puppy at the end, and she's called Agatha. Um, so oh, yeah, nice. so there's a small role, you know, for dogs. But um, I, because my my main character's a cleaner, you know, she runs a cleaning business basically, and she does the cleaning herself, you know. And then um, the, the lady who was editing say, "Oh, why don't you make it a cleaning cozy?" But I didn't want it to be a cleaning cozy. I didn't, mm. you know, I wanted it. I. I I didn't want that to be the focus of the story. I didn't want it to be, you know, murder at the cleaning job. I wanted it to be, you know, murder in the English village with the windmill at the carols. So, mm. um, 
Yeah, and I think it just depends what your interests are. For me, the interest, my interest is the puzzle and the setting and the windmill and the village. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a great, you know, great question. And, and I, I love those books. I love the ones with pets. And, you know, and I love the paranormal ones. The covers for paranormal cozies are just divine. Mm. <laughs> I think I've ever, ever seen a para paranormal cozy. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've made me want to go away and write the the, the cleaning cozy if, you know, <laughs> real murderers, um, the people who don't clean up after these people. <laughs> That in itself is a brilliant idea that just sort of came out. The, well, the, the, the dinner loady cozies, and there's a, yeah, I mean, I just think that's what's amazing about the genre, really, is that just the, the possibilities are infinite. Brilliant. All right, Chris, last question. You know what it is? Well, last yeah, this is a bit of a morbid question. Um, I feel like you've kind of got to a certain point with this already, but if you you're on your deathbed, you're looking back at your writing career. What does success like look like to you? What would you be happy with? Um, so I think that success is to have simply, you know, written a novel and finished it, really. You know, that so that for me is it's kind of there, you know, several times over. Um, mm. to, you know, have had my debut novel you know published and optioned for tv and, and to be shortlisted for the john quisi dagger you know etc uh, yeah i'm i'm kind of way way there you know obviously that mm. lacked sales you know my sales were, were good but just not good enough um and then to be getting some sales coming in and to be you know all i really want from writing is to earn a living you know is to earn a living from doing what i just love more than anything in the world and so mm. just to be earning you know, if I'm earning a living um, in time, um, that is success. That's good mm. enough for me. More than good enough. Amazing. Michael. Fantastic. Brilliant. Um, before we do say thank you and wrap this up, Vicky, the final, final question is, where can people find your brand spanking new Murder at Christmas Carols book? <laughs> and where can they find out more about you as a person as well? Yeah, sure. So the book is available only on Amazon at the moment. So there's ebook and paperback. Um, so that's on Amazon. So internationally, wherever you are. Um, and to find out more information about me, I have a website, which is vickynewham.com. And if you want to get in touch with me, I'm on lots of social media. Um, if you want to pop me a line or ask me a question or whatever, I love hearing from people. Absolutely. Guys, the links to the book, the website, and Vicky's social things will be in the description to the podcast. If you're listening back, they will be in the description to the video. Thank you so much. Please, 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 please tune in to our Christmas show Friday. Um, it will be a blast whether you're watching it live or listening back. Um, Vicky, thank you so much for joining us. Your story is amazing. It's been wonderful to hear from you. I hope you've had a good time. I know the audience have. Um, so from us, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Christmas, and I 
outside snow's glistening It's just you and me tonight I'll spend all this Christmas with you Oh, it's such a charm Got you up in my arm There's nobody at the door You said I wish this will never be over Darling, it's time for your present Come over here Now it is time to get out in the snow Lighting a light with you Choirs will sing and the joy bells will ring Nobody loves you as much as I do It's a wonderful feeling from floor to the ceiling It is that time of the year Drinking hot wine by the fire Here on our own we got nothing to fear It's Christmas And some kind of love, my friend Pick up some candy canes And hang a wreath on your door It's Christmas And outside snow's glistening just you and me tonight it's just you and me tonight it's just you and me tonight i'll spend all this christmas with you